Hello, and welcome to The Awardist from Entertainment Weekly, taking you inside this year's best contenders for the industry's biggest awards. I'm Shannon Naomi Crockmall, Digital Director at EW, and I am joined once again by my co-host, EW's Awardist columnist, David Canfield. Hi, Shana. Hi, David. Just us this week. Just us. That's all right. It's always great to just talk to you. Host. Just the host. Just us. Just the host. I think we'll be all right. I guess we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> this podcast is part of our comprehensive awards coverage at EW and the magazine, online at EW.com. Last week, uh, we had a great conversation with our colleague Clarissa about transformative performances, which actors could benefit from that love. Um, is it ever too much when yes. it becomes an impression? <laughs> and talked about the recent news about two so-called foreign films that um, have been disqualified, which I think is a story we're gonna continue to track. There's just been uh, kind of more discussion and commentary Definitely. about that. Um, and you spoke with Lupita Nyong'o about her performance in Us. That was all good. Um, this yes. week, we are talking, we have a little bit of, you know, we've reached the point where we're gonna start having some more nominations, some more awards, some matter more than others, and the kind of like yeah. big, great award to rule them all sort of idea, but I think it's always interesting, and it's a, today we'll talk about the nominations for the Independent Spirit Awards, mm -hmm. um, and what, if anything, they mean for the Oscar race. And also the Grammys, I uh, had Grammys, some yes. film-related nominations in there too, including a few surprises and a yeah. few just uh, oddballs because of timing. So we'll talk about that and some other films we have recently seen or are still eager to see. Yes. And then the excellent Clark Collis, who's a writer here at EW, talked to none other than Robert Pattinson about mm. The Lighthouse. For which he was nominated for an Independent Spirit Award. Yes. For Best Male Lead. I like the idea of doing something that's a period piece and it's kind of it's very, very um, um, formal in a lot of ways, but then it has this these kind of strangely punk elements. It's funny. It's kind of because it's in some ways it's very yeah, it's sort of very aesthetically formal. But that in even the the uh, aspect ratio is like, I mean, that's a bold thing to yeah. say to someone in a world where most people watch movies on on their phones. I mean, it's gonna be, <laughs> I can't imagine watching a lighthouse on a phone. Let's talk about the Independent Spirit Awards. What, what are they? Why do they matter? Where do they fit? <laughs> David, where do you want to start? The Independent Spirit Awards are held right before the Oscars and the like nomination. Like the day before the Oscars, Yes, yeah, so right? there's an, a huge gap between when the nominations are announced, because obviously this is two months, yeah. a little less than two months before when the Oscars nominations are announced, um, and then the awards themselves happen right before the Oscars. Um, this year they they always have a sort of budget cap in terms of the films they consider. This year they raised it modestly to $22.5 I believe. Normally it's 20 and That's it, really just the production budget, right? Correct. So it's like you can't, so that's a, that sounds like a lot of money still, but in the world of filmmaking is actually still a relatively modest production. Right. Uh, I would say as the gulf between sort of independent studio filmmaking keeps getting larger, it, it looks a little big now, perhaps. Uh, so it's interesting that they raised it this year. Um, another detail is that for foreign language films, they are not eligible in the categories we talked about this last week, but they are also grouped with foreign films that are English language, British films, Australian films. Based on where they're produced, Based right? on where they're produced. So this year, the big head scratcher was Jojo Rabbit was not eligible. It was because the team behind it is a New Zealand team. Uh, and they actually were not nominated in Best International Feature, but we can get into that later. Uh, that was a bit 
uh, of a surprise and maybe a red flag for that movie. Mm. Um, Wait, let's just talk about that now. Yeah. Why do you think that is? <laughs> I mean, I think because like Jojo Rabbit feels like an indie film. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I mean, a, a very well put together one, but it has more of that indie feeling. It's mm -hmm. definitely a risk in terms of subject matter, definitely. casting. I loved, like one of the things I loved about Jojo Rabbit is I love that this was sort of what Taika Waititi decided to do between Marvel films, yeah. right? Like this is a man who's going to make Thor 4 and who has made a zillion dollars for yeah. Marvel. And I loved that this was sort of his passion project in between was that he right. would make a funny movie about Hitler in which he played Hitler. Um, but, <laughs> yes. so it like truly felt independent in that way. Totally, it's very much of an independent spirit and independent spirit. Yeah. <laughs> and it has a certain campaign behind it that, that has positioned it as a strong awards contender when the People's Choice Award in Toronto, which is usually a good uh, indicator of success there. In this case, the reviews for the film have not been great. It's mm -hmm. been a divisive movie and the Independent Spirit Awards can tend to be a little, they like to spread the wealth a lot. Yeah. So one would think that it would pop up here, mm -hmm. but it also can be a little confusing to put that against Parasite, which mm -hmm. was nominated and which I think is the overwhelming front runner to win that category. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's hard to say, but I do think it's a sign of weakness for the movie, but it's also important not to put too much stock yeah. into these nominations. So the voting for this is the Members of Film Independent, which is a nonprofit organization. Um, and which does amazing work throughout the year. Mm -hmm. um, also has a very open membership policy, so you can pay the dues, and if you um, become a member of that, then you get to vote on these. So that's definitely different from some of the other awards bodies that are really strictly about craft and really about, mm -hmm. like, you have to be a part of that industry. Um, the last couple of years, we saw uh, Moonlight, Spotlight, Birdman, 12 Years a Slave, all win top honors yes. and got Oscar nominations. Um, Many of those won, in fact. Uh, yeah, and we also, like last year, Glenn Close and The Wife, I feel like this was the first time last year that we really heard that. I mean, people were talking about Glenn Close, yeah. first, but then it was like, oh, really? And Regina King for If Beale Street Could Talk, uh, Richard E. Grant, we were actually with Richard E. Grant last year on the day he got this nomination, which was oh, wow. a nice <laughs> moment um, to talk to him about. Um, but yeah, not always an exact Correct. translation. And yeah. there were a couple of other ones that are definitely not eligible because they cost way, way either a little bit more money or way too much more money, right? A lot this year too. I mean, Joker, mm -hmm. The Irishman, mm -hmm. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Bombshell, Little Women, Ford v. Ferrari, the uh, as yet unseen. 19. Well, they've, they've just started screen 1917 and Richard Jewell, which we can talk a little bit more about later, but both of those are also ineligible. Um, should we just run through what yeah. did make it into Best yeah. Feature? So the five films nominated for Best Feature are A Hidden Life, which is the Terrence Malick film. Which I saw in Toronto and really liked. Yeah. Um, I mean, long, a, a very long Terrence Malick film. It's like three hours, gorgeous. All, but, all typical. <laughs> although what gorgeous. was a little different about it and my understanding from talking with that cast in Toronto was that they actually had much more of a script or at least a script outline than Malick is known for shooting with. So there's actually much more story structure mm. to it. It's about an Austrian farmer who is a conscientious objector and refuses to serve in Hitler's army mm -hmm. and has to sort of choose over and over again whether to give up this bucolic, beautiful life and, and his life with his family in, in the mountains and very hard, like agrarian, hand-to-mouth sort of subsistence living, but also 
obviously better than being imprisoned yes. um, and deciding that that's something you're willing to consider risking your life for. Mm -hmm. uh, really beautiful. Yeah, gorgeous. I'm not surprised to see it on this list at movie. all. And it's also a little unusual for Terrence Malick to be competing with an independent film, which perhaps yeah. speaks to the state of the business a yeah. little bit. Um, so that's one. The second is Clemency, which won Sundance way back. Mm -hmm. So it's had a very long life and there's a real campaign to get Alfred Woodard kept in that Best Actress conversation. She was also nominated, so that's a, a mm -hmm. good sign for that movie. The Farewell by Lulu Wang, which is a movie we've talked about. Mm -hmm. Marriage Story, Noah Baumbach's film, which is an Oscar frontrunner, and Uncut Gems by the Safdie brothers. Let's talk about Marriage Story. So mm -hmm. Marriage Story, in addition to being nominated for Best Feature, is winning, receiving the Robert Altman Award, um, which means that it nominates sort of like a group, right? Like the- it, It's a win, so it's a- It's, it's, it's just a win, there's right. There's no, no one else nominated for it. It's been predetermined that it recognizes the exceptional collaboration between a director, the casting director, and the ensemble. So which means none of the actors in the film are eligible for the individual acting Oh, it categories. disqualifies you. It disqualifies you, which is like, people were like, wow, Laura Dern's not nominated, Adam Driver's not nominated, but it's really just because- Interesting. So two films that went on to win Best Picture at the Oscars that won this award are Spotlight and Moonlight, mm -hmm. which both received multiple Oscar acting nominations as well, but did not receive any acting nominations at the Independent Spirit Awards. But also, Noah Baumbach was not nominated for a director. For Best Director. While he wasn't disqualified in that he category. He was not because Barry Jenkins nominated. won Best Director for mm -hmm. Moonlight at the Independent Spirits, and Tom McCarthy, I believe, also won for Spotlight. So that's... Interesting. Yes, there are these little... Especially, I mean, this drives me nuts every year because I'm like, how do you think a movie gets made and yeah. then you like it and you think those performances are amazing and that film is compelling and worth honoring? Like, literally, the director's job is to make right. all of that come together. Well, we talked about The Farewell too. They did not nominate Lulu Wang, mm. even though... And she, I, I believe she didn't get in for screenplay either, which Snub. is notable because she's a real contender for an Oscar nomination for yeah. screenplay. So it, they like to spread the wealth a lot, and I think this year that's even more evident. But, you know, there's these little signs where it's like maybe the support for this movie is not quite as strong because you have a movie like Uncut Gems, which I love, but mm. perhaps falls a little bit out of what we think of as an awards movie. And it just dominated these nominations it's in for pretty much every major category. In which I haven't seen Uncut Gems yet, so tell me why I should. Uh, Adam Sandler is genuinely phenomenal. In a, he plays a sort of jewel, jeweler who absolutely will do, he has a gambling problem, he will do whatever it takes to keep that running. And he, the movie kind of tracks his fall <laughs> in this incredibly immediate, riveting, loud way mm -hmm. uh, and it's if you've known the Sa the, the Safdie brothers they made good time with Robert Pattinson uh, they have this really kinetic filmmaking style that was very suited to the story okay that's my pitch that's a good pitch and I'll, the I'll watch, I, I Awards, haven't been not seeing it I just <laughs> haven't gotten there yet the Spirit Awards definitely agree it it's really strong here which you know it, it's the sign that maybe there is the kind of groundswell for this movie that could make it competitive you got in other five categories. nominations right yeah and it got director, screenplay, and Adam Sandler is up for best actor. So, mm -hmm. interesting. so I feel like that should definitely help with momentum for him. Definitely, especially because the rest of that category doesn't really feature any 
particular Oscar contenders. We mentioned Robert Pattinson, mm -hmm. uh, and that's a really nice piece of recognition for him and, and the Lighthouse, but it's unlikely that he will push much further in that category. Mm -hmm. And then also Shia LaBeouf, who we talked about yeah. a little bit, I think, last week, who I thought was outstanding in Honey Boy. Yeah. That film is weird, but compelling. And it's been interesting in Los Angeles anyway. I feel like we're seeing a lot of the campaign push for it. Totally. I'm seeing billboards and posters too. and everywhere. He's doing a bunch of it. Um, the director for that also got nominated. Yes, she did. Um, which was a very collaborative, like every way they've talked about that film was that he basically started writing it while he was in rehab. Mm -hmm. Like they worked really hand in hand to create it. I liked how they talked about it. I thought, I think it's interesting and totally. truly feels independent. I mean, if anywhere a movie like this should shine and should have an opportunity to, I think that in the independent spirits is definitely yeah. the right vibe. And Shia LaBeouf plays in the film a, a version of his father. Yes. There's a, very, there's a very personal story behind it. It's a really affecting performance. It'll he, be, and also Noah Jupe got nominated. And Noah Jupe, although I think that's pretty much a lead performance, but yeah, for the sake of who's this. Who's also great. And he's, he's great If you've it. seen Ford v. Ferrari, he plays Christian Bale's son in, in mm -hmm. that film also, but he is truly outstanding much more to do here. In, in Honey Boy. <laughs> yeah. Like one of the, I mean, I, the, um, I'm forgetting his name now from Jojo Rabbit is also. It was like Roman a, Griffin Davis. Yes, yes, they're a year of very good child performances, totally. but Noah Jupe was outstanding. Like so much to balance and the sort of meta of being a kid in a film yeah. about being a child actor and the sort of exploitation or abuse that can be a part of that or just totally. misparenting involved with it like was really intense. Yeah, and you mentioned this being a nice place for a honey boy to get recognized. And I think one of the things I love about the Independent Spirit Awards is a place where movies that you've probably never heard of and that are not going to advance in the Oscar conversation get a bit of a spotlight and a mm -hmm. chance to say, you know what? These are great performances, mm -hmm. and these are great screenplays, and they might not have the campaign budget, or in some cases, even the release date to qualify, but they deserve that moment. And this is really where they get it, because obviously you have people like Jennifer Lopez, who's nominated for Hustlers. Mm -hmm. uh, Which I do feel like of anyone that is like also with like in the Adam Sandler way. It's not that we haven't heard of Jennifer Lopez, but I feel like in in the momentum of being taken seriously in awards contention sure. from someone who maybe wouldn't in necessarily be your first thought of who is going to, especially if, if for some reason people haven't seen those films or if they mm -hmm. aren't thinking about it that way. This I think is important. It's in that a sign journey. she's on the radar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So when you have people like her and Adam Sandler sort of nominated against. Actresses like Taylor Russell from Waves, who is this amazing breakout, who is not going to be getting an Oscar nomination, but how deserving of a spot for her to be among them for this moment in mm -hmm. the race. Mm -hmm. um, but there were some folks who really didn't get any love here. Yes. The report, I, I really liked the report. I, I thought like it was incredibly compelling. Mm -hmm. um, this is the Amazon's film with Adam Driver about the investi Senate investigation into torture, yeah. um, which sounds super fun when it, I say it like that, but it was actually an incredibly compelling movie with very little gratuitous violence, yes. despite um, being about very serious, obviously, subjects. Yeah. Um, nothing yeah. for that. And for Annette Benning's performance as Diane Feinstein, which is considered a, in the Oscar conversation, I, not getting in is not uh, a great sign for that movie, which just seems to be fading mm -hmm. rather fast. Another one is Harriet. Uh, which stars Cynthia Revo, who's terrific in that movie. That did not figure in here. So there are there are moments in this race where you look at 
a, a film or a container and you say, w when did that, they fall off? And I do think there are some examples here where we might be seeing them fading from the conversation mm -hmm. or having faded. Another one is Waves, A24 has been really pushing that film, which is this family drama that goes in very surprising directions. And Sterling K. Brown has been their sort of awards hope. He did not get nominated, and other than Taylor Russell, it did not it did not figure in. So yeah, interesting to see Judy also in this um, in this mix. I think I, in my head I had yeah, no, you wouldn't. You, I just assumed it cost more than yeah, that exactly. to make that movie. To be honest, I was like, oh, yeah, oh, okay. I it made me look at the film a little bit differently, actually, to mm -hmm. think about it more in that yeah. lower budget, medium budget of yeah. um, filmmaking. Um, Renee Zellweger still continuing her path to, yeah, be be to Best Actress deserved. nominated here. Uh, and that that is the only nomination for the film, but I think that's not surprising. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to see what happens with that. Yes. But not until basically the Oscars. Correct. So I feel lots like it gets, of time. It ends up in the mix of like all of the pre-Oscars parties and craziness um, to yeah. some extent, but it is, it is, it's always fun to watch because I feel like the car, like it's just a very different scene mm -hmm. than even if a lot, like many of those same people are going to be at the Oscars the next night. Yeah. It has that, it's in Santa Monica. It like has this very different, yes. even within LA vibe to it, um, than the formality. Very indie. <laughs> very indie. Um, could be more indie, I suppose, but it's a, it's a fun time. Yeah. Anything else on the indie spirits you want to hit on? Before we talk about Grammys, I think that that pretty much covers it. I'm I'm interested to see how actors like Alfred Woodard and Adam Sandler, mm -hmm. and we mentioned the farewell. Zhao Shujin was also nominated for Best Supporting Actress. These sort of bubble contenders to see how they progress in their respective categories, because um, it's it's a nice boost. It doesn't necessarily mean much, but that kind of recognition can't hurt. And I think it helps with that sort of legitimizing in the ongoing campaigning of it, right? Yeah. So for all of the calls that we get from people who are like, will you talk more with this person, more interviews, more appearances, more, you know, I think it, it adds to that weight. Totally. Let's talk about the Grammys. Yes. Uh, the Grammy nominations were announced um, on the 21st for 2020. It's a very crowded award season we have this <laughs> January and February. Um, the eligibility period is a little weird, which is why yeah. you saw some things show up here, I think notably Stars Born. Mm -hmm. um, the eligibility period is October 1st, 2018 to August 31st, 2019. Um, Just Emmys-esque, it's a Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is, which is like very, um, it's a little, just different than the rest of award season, which is right. mostly calendar year mm -hmm. um, for the following. Uh, and there are a couple of key categories, which I think could have some bearing on related Golden Globes or film nominations. So best compilation soundtrack for visual media, which generally means film. I think it's not limited to, that's why it's <laughs> called visual media. Uh, we have The Lion King, um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, and then two that are um, actually nominated, the stars are nominated because they performed the majority of the soundtrack, mm -hmm. Taron Egerton for Rocketman, and Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper for Stars Born, yeah. um, which I think is a good sign for Taron yeah. um, to be in this category. Mm -hmm. um, it definitely underscores that differentiation from the Bohemian Rhapsody of it all, yeah. where it's like this man sung enough to get a Grammy nomination. Totally. 
um, almost puts him up against Elton John because of The Lion King. <laughs> Although I, I like Elton John wrote, um, co-wrote some of the like at least yes. one of the songs. That's and didn't on he also soundtrack. have some things to say about that Lion King? He did. <laughs> he did. I um, in a very typical Elton John way. Yeah. He was like, um, I think it was Billy Eichner who was like, Elton's gonna Elton, yeah. which I feel like was a super appropriate, appropriate way <laughs> to frame that. Um, what do you think? Do you think this is going to make a difference? Uh, there's this, there's soundtrack, which is like the score. Um, so Lion King again, um, we saw that. Also Game of Thrones, Chernobyl, Avengers, Mary movies Poppins and Returns, movies together. and TV nominated together. Um, and then in the best song category, um, this is for the songwriter. Um, we have from Toy Story 4, Randy Newman and Chris Stapleton for Ballad of the Lonesome Cowboy. Um, we have a Dolly Parton track from Dumplin'. Um, again, uh, A Star is Born's I'll Never Love Again. Um, interesting, that, I thought it was interesting that's the one that was picked. As I know. To any of, like, I was like, wait, are only some of the songs eligible in this period? But um, that's obviously like the big um, yeah. ballady like, performance number. Um, Beyonce's song Spirit from The Lion King. Um, and Tom York um, with a, the title track from Suspiria. Yeah. So overall, some familiar names in there, some surprise stars born in there. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm less concerned, like setting aside the question of who will actually win these Grammys, yeah. what impact do you think this will have on any of the musical categories? Well, I think if you look at the best song, it's you know it's a shame that the majority of that category, not, not a shame, but <laughs> the fact that the majority of that category is for films that aired la that premiered yeah. last year or hit theaters last year, it means that it's a little harder to gauge what it could mean. But I think seeing those that are from this year included there, the yeah. Toy Story 4, The Lion King, mm -hmm. Those this doesn't are, include, Elton John did write a new song for Rocketman for right, the credits which that is he and Taryn, which is not on here. I think it's good. I wouldn't say it's like my top five favorite Elton right. John songs. Um, but I feel like it might have more of a chance actually in the Globes and Oscars. Oh, of it totally. All. I'm surprised yeah. that it did not. It's also, the eligibility is a bit strange. You mentioned, why did they pick that song from Stars Born? Shallow was nominated for Grammys. So there was a mix, okay. Because... It was released as a single. Before. Yes. So Stars Born has two years running of, <laughs> of Grammy success, it's, and I think it got several nominations. It also made me just think about how long this year has been. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, we were talking about a Stars Born this time a year ago. We're never going to stop talking we're about we're, I mean, uh, okay. okay, I guess that's, yeah. it's Lady Gaga's world, we live it's in late. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. I don't think that you necessarily get that much overlap with the Oscars here, but... Uh, inevitably, big original songs for movies are gonna show up here. Yeah. So, um, always good to hear the songs. Last year, so much back and forth around whether the telecasts were gonna include songs, not include songs, that's who would right. perform songs. We don't know anything about what that's gonna look like at the Globes or the Oscars yet. Right. Um, I feel like from a viewability perspective, like I continue to hope they will lean into those performances and make them fun and interesting. It makes it more of a production more of a show yeah and they're they're good songs i mean they're all i mean i would love to see how the toy story song would be staged right yes. i would love i think any of those could be a lot of fun um all right when we come back we're gonna hear ew's clark collis talk to robert pattinson next um and after that we'll have a few bold takes and we'll talk about uh, richard jewell anything mm -hmm. else that we have seen recently that we want to add to the pile yes. um so stick around we'll be right back
Hello and welcome to the Awardist from Entertainment Weekly. I'm your host Clark Collis. I'm a senior writer at Entertainment Weekly magazine, and it's my great pleasure to say that I've been joined today by Rob Pattinson,、uh, one of the male leads, well, one of the leads essentially <laughs> of、uh, the Lighthouse, which is now、uh, available to watch in all good cinemas. I would say. Only the good one. <laughs> well, Rob, thank you so much for taking the time to, to join us.、Today. Thank you very much.、Um, so,、uh, well, I want to get into I want to get into the nitty gritty of the of the lighthouse in a moment, but I just want to say that 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 when I when I saw the film, and this is the second film, this is the new film from Robert Eggers, the writer director of The Witch,、uh, which I adored,、mm -hmm. uh, but was a very serious film. And when I saw the lighthouse, I wasn't in the best of spirits, and I and my heart did drop a bit at the idea of watching a witch esque movie. Um, and while、uh, there are certainly moments of grimness in the lighthouse, I laughed like a drain throughout. I、mm. have to say, yeah, no, it's funny. I mean, the script was very funny to me. I was kind of, as one of the things that really appealed to me in the first place, it's sort of this kind of、uh, atonal tone, <laughs> where you kind of you've got this this kind of very serious sort of ethnographic documentary part. And then, sort of slightly surrealistic terror part, and then, then this sort of weird slapstick humor at the same time. I was like, "How is this all going to meld together?" And that's one of the my great joys to see hear people laughing at it because I really didn't know if people were going to or not. I was yeah, it was one of those movies that that lots of people were laughing, and there were sometimes I was the only one laughing. Yeah, but,、uh, <laughs> but I thought it was hilarious. From no, I wouldn't say it was hilarious from start to finish, but it definitely put a. Put a smile on my face. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of it's definitely an absurdist comedy in a lot of ways. So、uh, it's essentially a two-hander. I don't want to spoil why it might not be a two-hander. It's essentially a two-hander. Yourself and Willem Dafoe、uh, play a couple of lighthouse keepers、um, in 1890, who at the start of the film are deposited on a pretty, pretty inhospitable-looking chunk of rock、uh, mm. off、uh, in, in the in the ocean somewhere, and then. You know, tend to、uh, the lighthouse. Although you、mm -hmm. do more tending than he does, I have to say.、Mm -hmm. uh, could you sort of? I mean, it's it's not the easiest film to summarize. I would appreciate, but could you give a, a flavor of, of of what people can expect after that setup? Yeah, I I tend it, and he bangs it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the summary. <laughs> and I want to bang it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's kind of. I mean, it really is. It's a very, very difficult movie to kind of explain in a linear fashion.、Um, it's kind of it's either a thing about someone being pushed by their boss into kind of madness, or whether they're they're both being pushed by the environment, or whether you can't really tell even whose head the story is taking place in. Right. There's something. I mean, even when we were doing it, it's kind of. Is I mean it's it's funny because one of the major things I really liked about it is that both the characters are called God, I keep giving stuff away. They're essentially both called Thomas,、mm -hmm. and、um, and I just found it fascinating how such such a sort of simple fact. It's not exactly like there's not、uh, there's a shortage of people called Thomas, and when my character finds out that Willem's also called Thomas, it kind of blows his mind, and then it kind of. It covers so many things, but it, it sort of think it starts to make you think after that scene. You know who is actually the protagonist in this? Who's whose viewpoint we've seen this movie from?、Um, and I don't really know other movies recently which have really played with that as much as Lighthouse has. And I mean, you you hinted to this earlier, but Willem Dafoe's character clearly regards、uh, the lighthouse as 
his, I don't know, mistress to some mm. to some degree, and 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 I guess is worried about this uh, sort of younger gentleman um, uh, moving into his territory to some extent. Yeah, I mean, there could be like a whole thing where it's just that my character has an overactive imagination, and 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 Willem's just using. Uh, kind of seafaring terminology, and I'm just taking it absolutely literally. <laughs> my grace didn't actually actually mean literally. It's his mistress. <laughs> it's, like, it's just a turn of phrase. But uh, uh, yeah, it's kind of. I like the fact that how it plays on this kind of colloquial dialect, but it's sort of, you know, it's there. It sounds so kind of floral, and like there's there's such a kind of. Um, uh, ornateness to all these little um, turns of phrases um, that you kind of no one, I don't know, no one really reads into them in the same way that um, Robert Eggers has done where you kind of, you pick out a phrase and think like what does this actually mean this is actually a really unusual um, uh, what's the word, epistemology is sure. that the right word? Sure, I'm not going to argue with that <laughs> <laughs> and what was it like, yes, I mean it, it's amazingly uh, well written by um, and intricately written and evocatively written by, by Robert Eggers and mm. his brother, um, what was it like uh, both I mean you do, a, you do a particular dialect in the film, what was it like doing that and then having to master the, the linguistics of it? I mean it's kind of fun, I mean it's kind of there's something really nice about when you first approach something, and I, I, when I first read it, I could not. I had an idea of the voice, and I just couldn't do it. It was just slipping all over the place. And there's there's something quite nice about which removes the fear of just the performance. If you think, oh, there's something which you actually have to learn sort of by rote a little bit, because it's quite rare when you actually have to do that in a movie. Um, and it kind of just when you have to do something for a part that just really involves an enormous amount of repetition because um, you kind of if you've read these big speeches 5,000 times like it's something I guess it's like this sort of Kubrick method thing that you've done 500 takes and then you suddenly start coming up with stuff that you would just never would have thought of um, at the beginning um, and the only reason I did it so many times because I just couldn't figure out how to do this accent but um yeah. If it makes you feel any better, I was once on the I was on the set of Doctor Strange, and I watched mm. uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, one of our you know uh, greatest actors, mm. uh, trying to say cellular in an American accent uh, for like twenty <laughs> minutes as his as his a dialect coach was like it's it's cellular. So imagine you've got an ula. Imagine you've got an ula, and it's in a it's a cellular. <laughs> Um, and uh, I mean, he got it in the end. But, uh, that was it was because he's such a good actor, and then you, you just reduced in that particular moment to almost being like a child trying uh, to say something correctly. That's funny. So I love the way. Um, I, will, I will never be allowed in a Marvel setting. <laughs> I love the way uh, dialect coaches describe how to pronounce something. So I forget what the terms are, and they're like, "No, there's more of an, an air cut on the umlaut." <laughs> it was like, "Yeah, thanks, man." <laughs> I'll try. I'll try next time. I'll put some more. Some more. <laughs> um, and so, Willem Dafoe plays possibly the saltiest old sea dog uh, in cinema history, um, and a big drinker right from the start of the film. Mm. Whereas your character is, uh, 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 at least at the start, uh, not such a big drinker. But but things 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 take a bit of a turn. Um, mm. I don't think it's spoiling things to say that there's quite a lot of drunkenness going on is that like a particular I mean that, that is sort of notoriously hard to, to act drunk I guess I mean if you're sober or... 
Yeah, I mean, there's certain, there's a particular type of drunkenness which, like, it, it kind of, there's a scene in, uh, the, I mean, there's a scene in it when he's making his own uh, alcohol, which is like, like kerosene, paraffin, paraffin or kerosene or something, um, with honey, and that just making it like a potion. And there was, there's, I remember watching the, I was just talking about the master. There's a scene in the master when uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin are talking about um, what's in the drink, which he's found of him. And Joaquin says this thing kind of, well, how do you, how do you want to feel? After this, and there's something about this very particular, like, that you're not just getting drunk for the sake of it. It's like the type of person that you're kind of, it's, you're like a witch making this kind of very particular type of um kind of i don't even know you're, trying to, you're, you're using it as a magic potion sure. on yourself it's very particular um and i kind of well always, that's how i always regard it yeah it's like <laughs> you have a heineken or an amstel light like, <laughs> who do i want to be today <laughs> uh but yeah there was something about that kind of drunkenness where it's sort of um i don't know this I can't even think of what the word is, but it's not just going out partying. It's something very, very different. Right. Yeah. And as I said, the the lighthouse is directed by Robert Eggers, uh, who directed The Witch. Is that how you sort of came across him, seeing The Witch? Yeah, I love The Witch, and it was kind of it's just one of those things where it's kind of it's making no concessions to anybody. It's I mean. The fact that so many people really, the fact that it works really well just as a horror movie as well, it's really genuinely terrifying. And loads of people watched it and loads of people kind of got it and accepted this pretty difficult movie as like a pretty straight up scary movie. I mean, it's kind of incredible how this insanely period correct dialect and, um, uh, and like even the structure of it is quite, it's, you know, it's not it's not pandering to anyone. And I, I really noticed, and it's shot so beautifully, performances are kind of across the board really great. Everyone's got very, very committed. Uh, and it just really, it really stood out something interesting. And um, yeah, I love people that it's, to, to make a period piece not feel like a period piece at all. Like you're not, as soon as you watch The Witch, it's not like, oh. They're not. They're not playing it up. It just seems very natural. At the same right. Time. Um, no one's going to Mrs. Megan's pie shop for a exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Down the East End. Yeah. yeah. And then you you reached out to Robert, or I reached out to him about he was. I I don't, I don't even know what he was doing for. I reached out and talked to him about a couple of other things, um, and then he sent this, and I was just thinking, like, I mean, it was just so unusual. Um, and in the same way that there was something about the witch that was like just so out there, and yet it was a very easy read. It was like really funny. It's just sort of audacious. I mean, and did it seem funny on the page? Yeah, it was very funny, and kind of, but like funny, like you never read anything like it. So you're kind of like there's this scene where there's like two pages of. Me and Willem saying what to each other. It was just literally like, what, 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 what. Like, I mean, there's like 40 watts. And I'm just like, wait, you can't be serious. Like, how are you supposed to know how many watts exactly <laughs> are you saying? Um, but there's something, I like the idea of doing something that's a period piece and it's kind of, 
it's very very um, um, formal in a lot of ways but then it has this these kind of strangely punk elements it's funny it's kind of because it's in some ways it's very yeah it's sort of very aesthetically formal but that in even the the uh, aspect ratio is like I mean that's a bold thing to yeah. say to someone in a world where most people watch movies on on their phones. I mean, it's gonna be, <laughs> I can't imagine watching a lighthouse on a phone because it's essentially you, square, isn't it? Yeah, square. I mean, it's yeah. going to be like uh, watching it in a in a teaspoon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we should also point out that it's in black and white, but it's in this incredibly sharp uh, black and white. It reminded me of those. Um, sort of photographs you see from 100 years ago where clearly it's all period, clearly, you know, it's 100 years ago, and yet if we look at the faces, they could be contemporary faces. Mm. Obviously, I, mean, I know that you and Will are obviously alive now, but it does, there's various, especially right at the start when you're looking at the ship departing, mm. it's, it's both, it both looks incredibly old and incredibly modern, it seems to me. Mm. Yeah, it's funny, it does something, the filters and the lenses, they do, they, it's like when you look at those photos of people and working in mines and stuff they, they look they look like ghosts and I think there's something about the, the uh, methodology we're shooting the whole thing it kind of it just makes you look haunted um, and we probably were a little bit haunted as well <laughs> whilst doing it. well we'll get into that in a second uh, but um, Robert told me that when he called you and said that uh, uh, you'd be appearing with Willem Dafoe that you said well that's good because he can scare me do you remember that? He says or? a different thing about it every time. He <laughs> <laughs> um, sometimes say, like, "Oh, that's good. I owe him fifty bucks." Like, he was like, "He's like, yeah." He said, "Like, isn't he a bit short?" I'm like, "I did not say that <laughs> <laughs> at all." <laughs> like, um, but uh, uh, yeah, no, he's definitely. I, I mean, I've, there's just so many performances Willem's done, but like, it's just that I, I kind of knew there'd be. I don't know, because it was kind of written in the script like he was more lumbering. And so I'd kind of already imagined like a large, and also because he's kind of, you know, you're, you're being constantly like physically, do- felt like you were physically dominated the whole time. So I just always kind of had it in my head that it was just a kind of uh, obelisk of a man. And. Um, and I couldn't imagine who that really is, mainly because I don't have much of imagination, and I'm also like I'm quite tall, and so I'm like, Jesus, who's going to be like six five? And like, I mean, I mean, that also kind of made me a bit worried about the movie because it's like this is going to be so dark if it's just just brutality the whole time and something about just it's like too primal. And then when Willem wanted to do it, um, I was just thinking, there's that kind of there's a glee which he has in almost every movie he does. And I was like, oh, this is like... I mean, I couldn't really imagine how he was going to do it, to be honest. But I knew there's a kind of mischievousness to every one of his performances, which I think... And it's it's made the movie, like, 100%. And then what was it like it, in rehearsal, I guess, when the two of you... Because it is just really the two of you. When the two of you started sort of feeling each other out. That's an appropriate question. Uh, <laughs> um... That's no, fine. It's a, it's a weird one because because like, my parts are reactive at the beginning and and uh, and Wenham's got all these like fun speeches right from the beginning and uh, and so yeah, it was kind of uh, it just it's a, it's a strange position to be in where you're just kind of you're just 
you're kind of sitting in the hotel room somewhere and you're like, and you're not doing anything really other than looking at the other guy. <laughs> like, no, no, <laughs> like, I mean, you just suddenly really start questioning yourself. You're like, God, I'm so fucking blind. <laughs> Jesus. Like, and, and then when I'm, when I'm sitting, it's like symphony speeches and he's going all over the place. And I, I yeah, by after a few days, I was like, oh my God, I'm kind of, yeah, this is, this is not, it's not going well for me. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and also, yeah, with the kind of, and then after the first few days of rehearsing all his early stuff, I kind of, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to get in there. I didn't want to start like competing in the rehearsal rooms and yeah, I just kind of wanted to hold everything back. But, um, but yeah, on set, I mean, he's like, he's great to work with. I mean, it's kind of, and I think also you could sort of, there's a couple of scenes where you can see, you know, I guess I sort of played stuff at a little bit higher intensity than it was really written. And you can, and like, you can see this kind of, thing come open in Willem's eyes we're like, he'll be like oh you want to you want to do that I mean he'll immediately be just slamming you back in your place like every angle you wanted to take to kind of I mean I guess it's the thing they're they're they're, uh, they're competing for dominance and uh and Willem has like this great kind of um I don't know like that uh, that sort of the the it's not really like bullying for that kind of infuriating thing where you can never win against someone and he's just great at doing that. And then what was the actual, uh, well, I guess you just talked about it a little bit there, but what was the actual shoot like? What was the first day of the shoot like, for instance? Um, the first day of the shoot was probably, uh, it's like naked in this little shed, like, and uh, kind of, yeah, the, the just losing my mind and like <laughs> rain hat on I mean it's it's I mean it was fun because it's kind of I think also we were trying to establish what uh how the light really looked in your face I was kind of just looking in the monitor and sort of just kind of checking really because it's it's quite striking like what you can do because you're, you're, you're working in a very unusual confines it's kind of you have no idea what actually stuff looks like um but and so that was kind of fun, and then and then we did some stuff with me and Willem. I think it was his last scene, and it's all oh, it was horrendous to do because. Well, yeah, we don't want to spoil. Uh, yeah, that, that's quite a well. Let's let's not even let's let's move yeah. let's move on. Uh, I, I think, yeah, yeah, I don't want to. Spoil I'm so it. terrible. So I'm like, but I've been doing these interviews for ages. Everyone must have seen <laughs> <I> it already. <know. laughs> and then it well, well, uh, Robert was telling me that that. Uh, uh, happily for him, he said they, they couldn't find a suitable lighthouse, so they had to build one. Um, what, what was that like? Sort of. <laughs> he wanted lighthouse. to build a lighthouse from the beginning. That's I what mean, I mean. Yeah, he was he like, was like, his, yeah, he kind of. I mean, it was it's incredible. That set was unbelievable. I mean, when you you walk down, um, I mean, you would never if you were just walk if you were just walking along the coast and. Nova Scotia, you would never, you would have just thought it's a really picturesque, beautiful lighthouse that's been there for 150 years. I mean, it's kind of, it was, I mean, the set design on it was absolutely unbelievable. And also the fact that even when you were, we were doing the interior stuff, that was also, it was connected to the lighthouse. And so it was still freezing cold when we were in, doing all of the dinner stuff and pretty much 
I mean, like a lot of the interiors were just done on location as well, and so you could still hear the wind coming through. And uh, yeah, there's yeah, the meticulous attention to detail is incredible. Um, and then it, it, it premiered at Cannes. What was that experience like? Because I mean, it seems to be the film like this. I mean, as I say, I loved it, but if I'd made it, I would have no idea what people were going to think about it. Yeah. And that's the, I mean, it's like why I love Cannes so much. When I first saw it, I said, I mean, it has to, it has to be Cannes. Like, it's kind of. It, Cannes has this unusual thing where you can do something where it has that kind of humorous side and people will appreciate the humor, and but still kind of look at it in a sort of elevated way whereas if you went to different I, I think lots of other film festivals are, are more determined to classify the genre like, and it's I think right. Cam is there's just something about Cam that they, they kind of uh, I don't know they just have more quite a, a wide acceptance they don't really want to classify anything though. it's just sort of and also I just love stuff being Cam movies and it's kind of so I was talking to my friend in London the other day, and he was, I really, I really realised the disconnect. So, <laughs> I was like, I was like, like, yeah, I want to go to Cannes. It's like, oh, it's not going to be one of those movies with the leaves on the front, is it? <laughs> on the front, <laughs> the, the garlands. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, I thinking, like, wow, I bet that's like a lot of people look at these film festival. Um, Garland. You mean like so those those film posters where you have yeah when you have the thing all the, 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 the cam film posters yeah right, they, right, right. yeah all the actors are going around trying to chase them and it's actually putting people <laughs> off like going to watch it and I, I thought it was quite funny um, and just taking you back a little bit because this is I mean you've now spent seven eight years w making films with uh, sort of not blockbusters but mm. but clearly making films with interesting directors I'd mm. rather say and, and you know you. You were in the Harry Potter films, and then you were in the Twilight films. Um, then you make two movies with Cronenberg. Mm. You make uh, The Rover with David Michaud, which is fantastic. Mm. Um, what, I mean, did you wake up one day and, and be like, "I want to, I want to"? I mean, because presumably you could have, you could have taken a more mainstream route over the past six or seven years. Was it a case of waking up one day and think, "I, I just want to do something different"? Or? No, I mean, I, I got Cosmopolis kind of by accident. I don't know, like, and it went to Cannes, and that, and I was like, oh, this feels very much like the oeuvre I want to be in, and um, and then each movie, I, I would kind of, I was very careful about what you wanted to kind of, I guess, I mean, however lame it said, it was like brand consistency, <laughs> like, and, um, and it seemed like the, when I did Cronenberg, I remember Cronenberg uh, auditioned for, for the Rover, but I really, really wanted it. And like, I think I got David to like call David Michaud. And it's like, so, and then each little step, it kind of, you, you, it's, people just trust you a little bit more. And then after a while, people kind of get the idea of what you're trying to do, and then people start coming to you. And it's still now. I mean, it's kind of, people are still. I mean, less so now, but for even up until a year or two ago, people were like, "Oh, I didn't think you'd be interested in this." And it's still from Twilight because people are like, "Oh, I assume you want to do big stuff," and I'm like, "Like, I mean, I haven't done a big movie in like a long time." And um, but yeah, but it's nice though when it kind of, when the momentum starts rolling and people kind of 
they uh, kind of get to understand and then also and you kind of represent something a little bit different as well um it's very it's very nice to be able to change opinions i guess um and i believe at the start of the year you were looking at possibly a year of uh, unemployment mm. <laughs> but it didn't work quite work out like that and you have been working on something big which i know you can't talk about mm. too much but but can you say a little bit about it uh it's it's called Tenet. Right. I should point out for those who are just listening, I've never seen anybody uh, 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 look more like they're really going to be careful. About this. Uh, it's directed by Chris Nolan. Uh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is totally fine. Um, but also, your so you've got Tenet with with Christopher Nolan, and after that, you move into playing Batman. Mm-hmm. And how did that? Um, because, you know, having spent, as I said, six or seven years making, um, you know, I don't want to say movies, on, you know, I don't want to say fringe movies, but, 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 you know, not blockbuster movies. How did you decide to, to, to put on the cowl? Um, there's something that always appealed to me about it. I feel like it sort of exists outside uh, the realm of, I feel like this sort of, Batman movies have always attracted really really good directors and kind of really good actors playing it and it's kind of it's got a legacy and a lineage to it which is it's never seemed to me like it's been like just a cash in for something it's always seemed like like there's you know you look at the birth ones and even even like how the uh tv series was done like people still watch the TV series. I mean, it's like that is a classic TV show, <laughs> like, and it's and it's like very, yeah. very, very, very well done, and the performances are great. That's a very interesting kind of pop arty kind of TV show, and it's funny, and uh, and yeah, I just always feel like it's not like they just made a movie so they could sell toys. I'm sure there was a part of them that did it, but like you know, the first Batman. Jack Nicholson's playing the, the back. I mean, it's yeah. literally. Like, I think uh, there's yeah, there's something very special about it. And also, I just I, those Tim Burton Batman's when I was younger. I mean, like I was obsessed with them. And but on top of that, though, I don't know why. I mean, I just kind of even when I uh, when I I was I was sort of thinking about it. And then when Ben didn't want to do it, I was uh, or couldn't do it, and I don't even know what happened with it. But um. You heard you wanted to do it. <laughs> yeah, of course. He was just like, if Pattinson wants yeah. to do it, let him ah, do it. Ah, fine. Uh, but there was just something. I remember calling my agent. My agent was just like, really? That's like, but I'd kind of, I'd had it in my head for a while. Like, that was, that's the only superhero thing I've ever done. I kind of want to, I don't want a sitcom that's just your agent, to be honest with you. To sort of like, <laughs> have, have six or seven years of you being like, no, I want to work with, let's do another Cronenberg. And eventually yeah. you beat the, you beat him down or beat beat her down, and then you're like Batman. Let's do that. My agent used to send when she'd send stuff. She'd be like, oh, "I'm just you just only want to do stuff that's just gross." <laughs> and she's like, she'd be like, "Why? Don't, how much should I send a normal thing?" And she'd be like, "How about I change the character description to like Steve, thirty one, like gross. pedophile." <laughs> Whatever, then just the rest of the script can follow. I'll well, I have to say, I watched because another film you made was Good Times, which I which I watched. I think I watched half of it on a plane. It's the only film 
I stopped watching because it was just too intense. You what? know what I mean? Like, I was just like, I cannot, I just cannot watch this anymore. The only I movie, watch the, it like, later on. The only movie I had that experience with was Dunkirk. I remember watching it like, at the beginning of a really long flight. And I was like, oh, God. I wish I hadn't watched this now. I'm never going to be able to get to sleep. I actually felt like I'd take speed afterwards. That's like, I've never had that experience with a movie before. Um, but yeah, there's definitely something... I remember, I remember. I love what the Saudis do with soundtracks. But I remember watching when I went to the premiere of um, Heaven Knows What. I get like the it was so deafening in the the theater. And Josh sitting next to me, he's like, "It's too quiet. It's too quiet. It needs to be painful." <laughs> and that's like, <laughs> I just love that attitude to kind of. It's just like I want to have. I want to make it visceral experience in the audience. It's like they want them to make the skin crawl. Well, just just uh, not, not, I'm not going to press you about what Tenet is about, but talking about Dunkirk and Chris Nolan, is it true that you found out about Batman on the first day of shooting Tenet? The, the yeah, yeah, role? yeah. And what, what, did you talk to Chris Nolan about it? Or? I mean, I was, it was like a big scene on the first day, so I was kind of like, I was <laughs> like all over the place, and so um, but. Yeah, I didn't even really. Met, I mean, it was, it was an unusual, unusual day. Um, but I guess it was all sort of within Warner Brothers. So, like, I mean, pretty, they all like. I, I was keeping everything so secret, I and mean, everybody seemed to know everything before I even knew it. So, like, so but uh, yeah, it was, it was great. That was fun. It seems like ages ago now. Um, and have you? Had, do you? I mean, you, I know you've been busy. Have you had the chance to uh, watch any movies this year that uh, took your fancy? Um. Yeah, what have I seen? Um, no, 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 no. Seen Joker yet? I did. Like oh, Joker did? a lot. Like, it's funny. I was just talking about this earlier as well. Like, I love how everyone's acting like it's such a surprise that that Joaquin's great in it. Right. <laughs> it's literally like you've not seen like any of his movies. <laughs> it's like he's never not been great in anything. Um, um, God, why am I blanking? Um, Wait, and what's your well, before we we got to uh, we got to move on? But what's your sort of comfort uh, uh, movie? What do you what do you put on when you're tired? And or what what movie if you're if you're watching it on uh, cable will, will you be like? Hey, I'll watch twenty minutes of this. Mm, I already do. Like I'll I always watch. Um, I love like cops. Like I like I watch cops for, for hours. I watch like uh, the TV show. Yeah, okay, that's like my favorite. Like I can, like I absolutely adore it. And uh, yeah, things about kind of low-level criminality. It's always always my thing. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, well, Rob, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking to you. My my guest this week uh, on the awardist has been Rob Pattinson, who's uh, from the Lighthouse, is now. Uh, delighting and possibly confounding audiences uh, around America. And I mean that in the, in the best possible way. Okay. Uh, this has been the awardist from Entertainment Weekly. Thank you so much, Rob, yes, uh, for coming. Will you, will you come back again next week? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to keep doing this. <laughs> every week, Rob. Uh, well, thank you, Rob. Uh, thank you, for everybody, for listening. This has been the awardist from Entertainment Weekly. My name is Clark Collis. See you soon. Thank you. Uh, welcome back, David. What did you think of this performance in The Lighthouse? Uh, it's a really terrific performance. Uh, he stars opposite Willem Dafoe as they're, they're, they play lighthouse keepers who basically begin to lose their minds in a storm. It's a black and white film by Robert Eggers. It's a very strange movie. Um, I believe Slate's review called it artsy and fartsy. And I will not, <laughs> I don't want to tell you how accurate that is, but it's 
incredibly accurate. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, this is why David is co-hosting because he's seen literally every single one of these films. I've seen like 75% of these films and, and the gap of what I haven't seen is always very obvious. Um, but in this case, I think Pattinson's a long shot for a nomination, but we're really excited to see him nominated for an Independent Spirit Award and very uh, interested to see how this conversation around the movie more broadly develops. I think people have thought Willem Dafoe could figure into supporting so we'll see, um, but yeah. Uh, David, there are a handful of films that have really been in this conversation that we are still seeing, um, in addition to, to me, <laughs> who is still, like, constantly playing a little bit of catch up. My wife was teasing me. She was like, I can tell when you haven't seen the movie because you just start asking questions. <laughs> um, I was like, also, you know, because you haven't seen them either. Yeah. Uh, David, you saw Richard Jewell. Yes. Let's talk about that because I think this, so this is the, dramatization, the story of Richard Jewell, the, uh, who is misaccused by Correct. the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. This is based on a story by Marie Brunner for Vanity Fair, who also was the journalist who wrote um, the profile of Marie Colvin, which became a private war. Mm -hmm. um, and I read the Richard Jewell story in a collection along with that piece and a bunch of other really amazing pieces she wrote for, for Vanity Fair over the years, including one that has not yet made its way to film, but like an incredibly gripping story about early reporting she did on Donald Trump. Mm. Um, so I really recommend, it's a great compilation or to kind of go back through the Vanity Fair archives and read yeah. some of that. It, they're very compelling stories. What did you think of the film? Uh, I liked it. I had some reservations with it. There were a lot of concerns about this being Clint Eastwood's sort of anti-media, anti-FBI movie, mainly because and this it, man, Richard Jewell, was wrongly pursued by the FBI, was really maligned in the press, and his life was ruined, essentially, because he was he went from a hero, he was actually instrumental in preventing the bomb from killing uh, mm -hmm. more than it did. And then after that, he was accused and became the prime suspect yes. in a very public way. So, and do you feel, did it feel like a vendetta? No, it didn't. I, I think, well, it did and it didn't. <laughs> the performance by Paul Walter Hauser, who is the, he was in I, Tonya and a few other films and supporting roles, but here he plays the lead and he is really remarkable. He is heartbreaking and funny and just totally believable and human. Um, I think the main criticism of the movie and it's something that really put me off is the journalist character mm -hmm. who's, who's played, played by Olivia Wilde yes and she's she's at a 15 the whole movie she is she's she comes in hot and she doesn't really slow it down and it's it's really kind of a I don't want to say gross but a really mm. unfortunate portrayal of a journalist she falls into that trope of the female journalist who sleeps with someone to get information and she's really depicted as soulless and Ambitious and it's used in a, I don't were, remember any of this from Marie Runner's story, by the way. I'll have to go back and like look again. The, the, the Atlanta Journal Constitution has come out against the portrayal of her very strongly, and I think rightly. It's it's really unpleasant to sit through, and it's the one part of the movie that fits into that critique of what this movie's purpose is. Mm -hmm. Is it an anti-media screed? And that part of it says, yes, it is. However, it's a very well-paced respectfully told film otherwise, mm -hmm. and the lead performance is really strong. Kathy Bates 
gets a sometimes thankless part as his mother, but she also has this really beautiful press conference scene and in general really enhances the part. Sam Rockwell, who's at this point, seems like he's nominated every year, I think will definitely figure in again. He plays his attorney. Um, it's definitely part of the conversation. It's not a great movie, but it's a crowd pleaser in a lot of ways. And I think it will... That is not where I thought you were going with that sentence. Do crowd well. pleaser is just I not think, well, where for, I thought that was going to end. For a certain audience, <laughs> okay. I, the last time Clint Eastwood rocked the race in the way that I think this film has the potential to was with American Sniper, mm-hmm. which, like this movie, was not especially well-reviewed, but for a specific audience, it really struck a nerve. Yeah. And it ended up being one of the power players of that year. So uh, it's one to watch out for. Okay. Interesting. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing it. I feel like that case was like at the bedrock of like half the journalism classes I ever took, right? Was really talking yeah. about what mistakes were made, how not to make it. Um, all right, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Anything else? Well, the other film that's starting to screen is, is 1917, which we haven't seen just yet. But We will uh, have we, seen it by the time this comes out, yes. but we have not seen it today. And it's another big studio movie. This is Sam Mendes's war film and I'm, very interested to see how he pulls it off. It has a very ambitious one-take conceit, I believe, that he did with his cinematographer. So, yeah, the race Looking is still going. New yeah. movies are still getting screened. Yeah. Um, okay. And you've seen literally everything else. There's nothing else you're you're um, still waiting for. I mean, for. there are some odds and ends, but for the most part, yeah, okay. I, I I know this year's Oscar contenders pretty well. Yeah, so. that's why you're here. That's um, why here. All right. Well, then let's get a bold take. Um, oh. I, I, th- I thought of one, so okay. unlike every other week, I'm prepared for this. Um, my bold take is about music performances okay. on the telecast, which is that I think we will see Elton John and Renee Zellweger perform. Elton Not John. necessarily together, although that would be amazing. <laughs> and now I'll just say that's my that's my bold take. Let's have some really unexpected collaborations up on that stage. Um, but I was, you know, I mean, I think both Elton John and sort of Renee as Judy um, are two life stories that could have been the same and instead went in very different directions mm-hmm. um, in terms of like how those biopics and those lives could have been lived and gone, but are also just amazing performers. Yeah. Um, and so as I continue to just try to manifest the Oscar season I want, <laughs> With my bold take. Hey, I don't think anyone would <laughs> not want this. Oscar <laughs> Who wouldn't want to watch that, yeah. right? I mean, I and I, Taryn can come sing. I don't know what that's going to look like. Yeah. I feel like who? I mean, they're pro- like since Stars Born won't be nominated in these categories for Oscars. Can Adam Driver sing Sondheim? Oh my God, yes! <laughs> this is what we need. Could we get everyone, all of those people, to sing Sondheim? I would be down for that. Yeah. I think that would be great. There you go. Right, Big musical good. number, very unexpected, somewhere between Elton and Judy and Sondheim. Love it. Sure. It, there's been a lot of Sondheim Why not? this year. Yeah. Yes, that's true. So. I'm I'm all in favor of it. Okay, great. Okay, what's your bold take? Um, Top well, that. Staying with the Richard Jewell topic, I think Paul Walter Hauser is going to get into a very, very, very competitive Best Actor race. I really do. And that is a very competitive. It's really competitive. I think it's the most competitive category. But he really stands out in a totally unique way because, I mean, who are we talking about here? We're talking about Joaquin Phoenix, Robert Mm -hmm. De Niro, Antonio Banderas, Leonardo DiCaprio, names that have been Mm -hmm. in some version of this conversation for a very long time. And this guy comes in, 
he's someone that most have seen in these very mm -hmm. small supporting, por supporting parts, but nobody knew he could do this. Mm -hmm. well, most nobody did. Mm -hmm. And he is pretty brilliant, and I think he's going to go a long way. That's a bold take. That's a bold take. All right. That's our show. Uh, thank you, David, for joining me as always. Uh, next week, we are going to hear our interviews with two directors behind some of the year's best films. Uh, Lorraine Scafaria, who directed Hustlers, um, who Clarissa and I spoke to, and uh, Lulu Wing, who directed The Farewell, mm -hmm. uh, who Clarissa also spoke to, yes. but without me. Um, <laughs> and you can always find complete awardist coverage on ew.com slash awardist and in the magazine. Thank you to Lauren Huff for helping to pull together research for today's episode. Um, and please subscribe wherever it is that you are listening. Subscribe, rate, comment. You can come tell me at Shana Naomi on Twitter how I'm wrong or right and what else I should watch. Where can people find you? You can find me at David Canfield 97 Okay. Come tell us what you think. Thank you so much for joining us. This is The Awardist from EW.